a faith of my own. A faith of my own. In this second week of Easter, we find the last of four resurrection vignettes John offers in this gospel. And this particular one is centered around Thomas, who, by the way, doesn't have a clear identity in the other gospels. And every time I read this text, it brings to mind some of my own life experiences. So I find it easy to place myself in that text. And it leaves me hard pressed to agree with the pejorative manner in which Thomas has been given the reputation as a man of doubt. Unlike the other disciples of his time, he is made to stand out as one who disbelieves. And while Thomas does not accept the witness of his fellow disciples, I would venture to say that a better way of describing Thomas's experience would be to say that he was having a crisis of faith. He is struggling to validate the faith that he has. Thomas wants an experience that would validate what he believes. To use language from other parts of John's gospel, I would say that Thomas is demanding a sign. A quest that is all too common with any one of us as we enter into the tension of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, trying to reconcile what we see with what we believe. Like all of us who seek to know Jesus more personally, we enter into the power of the resurrection and we seek to find a faith of our own. I was seven or eight years old when I experienced a crisis of faith for the first time. Now, I didn't know the call of that, and certainly it was a rudimentary experience. But I had just enough faith to know that I desired more of God than I had or was seen. I knew just enough to know that I wanted my own upper room experience. And growing up in a family of dedicated, church-going, Bible-studying Christians, I had gleaned enough to know that I wanted to know Christ for myself. Despite the fact that I lived among people who worked hard all day with not enough to pay the cost of living, some who buried a child, died of illness with a name that no one could pronounce or explain, and some whose spouses drink too much or couldn't boil water. In spite of the hardships and the discriminations that the people around me were experiencing, I knew that I lived among people who trusted God immensely. On the other hand, there were some who testified of their trust in God, but their living didn't seem to line up with what I was hearing what I was hearing from them or what I was hearing from my parents or in Sunday school or even from the pulpit. I tried hard to reconcile all that I saw with what I had heard and had come to believe. Like Thomas, I wanted a faith of my own, a faith that all of us are looking for, a faith that enables us to live in the power of the resurrection. A faith that produces a life that is not bound by a tomb of dead dreams or grave clothes of regrets and fears, 
Rather, I wanted a faith that would take me into a life of transformation and wholeness. Later, at the age of 11 or 12, <clears throat> that's the age we Baptists used to call the age of accountability, conversations about baptism were getting my attention. And still living with that tension of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I had experienced even at seven, eight years old, I wanted to be baptized into something more than water. Having noticed that the people around me who professed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit lived life a little bit differently than those who didn't. So I went to my mother one day and I told her that I wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And my mother's response was, you don't need all that. And in my childhood mind, I heard a Baptist giggling out there. In my childhood mind, I thought that she was saying to me that the Holy Spirit wasn't necessary. And I was troubled by that. And it was only as an adult that I came to understand that in her own way, what my mother was saying to me that you're looking for a sign and you don't need a sign. All you need is to believe. And when Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, in essence, Jesus was saying to Thomas, you don't need a sign. You just need to believe. Believe that I am the Christ, the one who was dead, buried, and is now resurrected. Believe that I am the one who by the Holy Spirit will join you in your struggle, grant you peace, and empower you to let go of all that binds you and holds you back. I think there's something very admirable about Thomas. He was not bashful about owning his own struggles. Faith was never, never easy for him and obedience didn't come readily. He was a man who had to be sure, a man who had to count the costs. But once he was sure and once he had counted the costs, he was a man who went to the ultimate limit of faith and obedience. Thomas was the one who, when Jesus was preparing to return to Judea, he said, let us go also that we may die with him. And when Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, you know the way where I'm going, it was Thomas who said, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? A faith like Thomas's is better than empty professions. Obedience like his is better than easy agreements that lend themselves to going back on your word. I believe the struggle for meaning, for life, and for wholeness for Thomas was the same as it is for all of us. The struggle leaves us with the questions, what does this mean? And where is God in it? And these questions come alive in us over and over and over again. It was at the age of 53, during another crisis of faith, I declared that there were too many unanswered questions about who Jesus was in my life 
and I vowed not to preach another sermon, not to teach another Bible study class, or do anything else in the way of ministry until I had those questions answered in my heart and in my soul. And instead of preaching and teaching what spiritual mentors and academic advisors had offered me, I knew I needed a faith of my own. And I tell you, that was a time in my life when I was such a basket case that several of my colleagues and friends suggested that I go to, on a 30-day retreat to Pecos, New Mexico. Now, I didn't go to Pecos. But I did go to San Luis Obispo, California. And there I wrestled with my questions. I struggled with the meaning there. And when that struggle came to an end, I had no clear-cut answers to my questions. But I knew that God had met me there. God met me in that struggle. And what I came away with was peace in my heart and in my soul, a joy in my heart, and a faith that caused me to say like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And it's because of my own crisis of faith that I am better able to recognize and appreciate the crisis of faith that I find in others. My own struggle made it easier for me to deal with a teenage daughter who at 16 questioned, who is God? And why does God permit permits evil in the earth? And why does, doesn't God heal every broken situation? And it was that child who had no pretense about her struggle. And she is the one who never left the church. It is the resurrected Lord who meets us in our struggles, grants us peace, and, and empowers us to keep on keeping on. And it's that staying power that is ours because of the peace that Christ has imparted to us, a peace that many of us know as a condition of the heart that brings stillness and serenity and freedom from disquieted, agitating, and anxious thoughts. It is the peace that brings harmony in our relationships, the peace that Jesus grants, and a peace that binds together which have been, that which has been broken, one in which separated parts are brought back together again. And I think that's why when we get all disjointed and there's lack of harmony within ourselves, we hear ourselves saying, I have got to get it together. Because we know that we have something in Christ that can pull it all together again. We know that we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when we watch the news and hear tell of the violence and the malfunctioning government and the declining institutions, and we wonder where is God in this? We have but to remember that Christ has entered our struggle and our Lord has granted us peace. And as Lisa Sharon Hopper says in the very good gospel, we understand that despite our anxious minds, despite divisions and threats of violence, God's vision remains the same. 
God desires wholeness for a fragmented world. And God desires peace, shalom for our hurting souls. And it's with that peace that we are empowered. Yeah, Thomas was a show me kind of guy, a give me proof. And it's with this kind of thinking that Thomas becomes a symbol for us and reminds us that we too can engage in a crisis of faith and come out on the other side. You know, it's hard to believe that shut doors are no barrier to Christ's presence. It's hard to believe that doors secured against darkness and fears are no match for the light of Christ. And it's not easy to believe that Christ's light can hurl back darkness and set us free. It's hard to comprehend how the light of Christ transforms us when we have not done a thing other than show up. It's awe-inspiring to know that we don't have to see the scars or put our fingers in the nail-pierced hand or put our hand in his side to know that Christ is real and present with us. It's hard to comprehend how with no doing of our own, we are made to declare, you are my Lord and my God. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit the spirit of the resurrected Lord, that we, like Thomas, are able to declare that I have seen God. I have seen the word made flesh. He lives. He lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, for Christ Jesus lives in me. Thomas got a sign, all right. Thomas learned a lesson that I hope we all learn. The sign lies not in our ability to see for ourselves, but in the goodness and graciousness of our God who loves us. The sign lies in Christ Jesus who was able to give life and love while his own life was being ripped from him. The resurrection that we are called to embrace is the one Jesus declared of himself. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. The one who believes in me, though they die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And we just have to answer the question, do you believe this? So it's okay, friends, to want to see signs and miracles. It's okay to seek proof that God is in the midst, but it's better, much better, to embrace that which is real and everlasting. It is much better to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, even if there are no miracles or signs to demonstrate God's presence. For it is in the eternal knowing that God is present And God wants for us what we want for ourselves. God wants us to have a faith of our own. And I think John alludes to that as he closes out this 
or at least as this particular text closes out with verses 30 and 31, in that he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So the aim of the gospel was not so much about giving information about who Jesus is, but about giving life, resurrected life. And this life is not about being religious. It's not about achieving moral purity or gaining doctrinal orthodoxy. But it is about experiencing the living Christ. It is about living a life that takes us across the boundaries of fears and anything that separates us from one another and from our God. It is about living a life and living it more abundantly. We are called to believe that through Christ we might have life and have it more abundantly. We are called to believe that we can live a resurrected life, one of peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. In that, we come to find that Jesus is who he says he is. And with that, we have a faith of our own. Amen. <laughs>